I'm the one with the microphone and the pictures, so I'll be telling you what I know. Um, Next week, uh, Scott Maxwell is beginning a six-week series in the book of Job, Lessons from the Scenes of Suffering. And um, just a reminder about equipping our format. Um, We'll meet in here. Um, If it it works out that uh, maybe that new large classroom suits us better, we can move. But um, being in here allows us to use the sound system as well as live stream. Um, when we want to and when we're able to. Um, So it just means if you ask a question, you're accountable for it because it is being recorded and live streamed. Uh, So um, exercise discretion. I'm just kidding. You can can, uh, ask questions at any point, anytime. Raise your hand, stand up. We can be as interactive as we'd like to be um, for this. And um, there are donuts. And the the way uh, donuts are going to work for equipping hour is that we're really excited about donuts. Uh, the way donuts are going to work for equipping hour is uh, kind of a donation. Give what you can, and that will feed the fund for donuts for next week. So I um, want, uh, want to highlight Bobby and Michael. Oh, there's Bobby. Bobby Casillas, Michael Kiwis. Um, these are our equipping hour deacons. So they were doing all the admin behind the scenes, putting out the schedules, um, putting out our um, kind of announcements and um, stuff in the bulletin as well as on the website. They are providing the uh, refreshments for during equipping hour and uh, arranging and talking with all the teachers, getting all the scheduling done. So uh, really kind of a big task those guys um, have been chomping at the bit for, for what now, four years so have we been at this for four years? First installment. So thank you guys so much for your selfless labors. We really appreciate it. I want to start our time in thinking about uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, just in terms of thinking about Jesus' commission to his disciples in Matthew 28. There we have this command, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, we have this scene from heaven. A song is being sung to Jesus, the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And what you have in Revelation 5 and Matthew 28 are something of bookends on the era in which we now live. Command from Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the promise from prophetic revelation that people from every tongue and tribe and nation and people will actually populate heaven. Pretty remarkable thing when you think about, wait, Jesus has pinned his hopes of what heaven looks like on our obedience. That's a scary thought. And yet he has also given us the the promise that he will do it. And just like everything in the Christian life, when you obey, you recognize you are totally and utterly dependent on God's power to accomplish what he's commanded us to do. And I think the link between Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and Revelation 5, that great throne room scene of heaven where people are actually assembled as worshipers of Jesus, is Romans chapter 10. And we have this series of questions uh, that follow the statement, whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 13. This 
substitutionary work of Christ will prove itself to have been effective for everyone that will call on Jesus in faith. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Paul argues in Romans 14. And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by a word about Christ. How do we get from Matthew 28 to Revelation chapter 5? Right through Romans 10. And beautiful, footed, feeted, um, people with beautiful feet, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, proclaiming Christ. And whether that means the the cul-de-sac in your neighborhood or the cubicle where you work um, or the the classroom or the athletic field or whether it means our friends who have gone all the way to Papua New Guinea. Uh, It means that the task for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, reaching every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be effective. God will raise up faithful servants. This morning we get to highlight God's grace, God's glory, God's purpose, God's gospel carried in the beautiful feet of Dodds, Cans, Mitchells, Amelia, Layman's, and Grace Bible Church. Um, all of you who have invested, contributed, uh, you've done so in a number of ways. You've done so financially. You've done so through prayer. You've done so by being a healthy, vibrant body of Christ, a healthy church that's able to send missionaries to Papua New Guinea. Um, and so we just want to give God glory for all of these things. Uh, I'm going to show some pictures, some movies. Um, feel free to ask any questions that you'd like to ask. I might ignore you. All right, let's go. Okay, this is uh, uh, Janet and I flew into um, Madang. Uh oh. There we go. Helicopter noises. That's great. So to get to Papua New Guinea, uh, for us, it was a flight to Los Angeles, a flight from Los Angeles to Australia, a flight from Australia to Port Moresby, a flight from Port Moresby to Madang. Madang is the port city that you're looking at there uh, where Jeremy and Lori live. I don't have my pointer, but you see a kind of a dirt open area and then one set of houses, a long skinny house. Do you see the long skinny house? And then the dirt road right across the dirt road from that long skinny house second house from the ocean is the layman's. That's where they live. You could just about throw a coconut uh, into the ocean from their front yard. Um, And so that's Madang. That's the port city. That's where uh, grocery buying, that's where dealing with government officials, that's where shipping, all the logistics stuff takes place. And that is the base there for Finister Vision um, and uh, the work of our missionaries there. And that is a very hot Tropical, humid place. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Um, To get from the layman's place in Medang to uh, where our missionaries are at in Maui Roro, which is the main village of the Doe-speaking people, is uh, a number of ways to get there. A four-hour boat ride, a hike, and a seven-minute helicopter. Um, or a 15-minute airplane and a hike and a seven-minute helicopter, or a 35-minute helicopter flight. Jan and I took the 35-minute helicopter flight, and uh, the end of it looks something like this. It sounded much louder than this. We turned down the volume for your sakes. It was great. 
can see by the terrain, let's go down just a little bit. There we go. That's perfect. Um, you can see by the terrain that it really is impassable uh, by normal vehicular travel. There's a reason that the people of Papua New Guinea have been isolated from each other, isolated from the rest of the world, isolated from the gospel. Uh, and it's because the, the terrain, the topography is very, very difficult. If you've hiked Camelback Mountain, um, imagine stacking a bunch of them together on top of each other, behind and around each other, and then covering them with water and mud and trees and just trying to get around. Uh, pretty dramatic to arrive. You can see the uh, Mitchell House on the left, the Can House on the right, and the airport right in between them. houses. Anytime a helicopter shows up, it's a big deal and uh, filled with anticipation and excitement. Um, the, the groceries have come you know, once every six weeks uh, or whatever else is in care packages that you send and sometimes people. And so if you're uh, thinking about wondering, what do I do with my vacation? Um, maybe I want to go encourage my missionaries. Uh, that is a very good thing to consider. And uh, Long-lost friends are very welcome sites. Uh, Maui Roro is just uh, a remarkable place to, to be, to stand, to sit. Aside from the whole gospel interest there, it's one of those places in the world that trekking tourism would love to be. If any of you like to camp or backpack or, uh, you know, adventure or trek, you like to get out away from roads where other people can't go and be places where other people can't get to. This is that place. This is like the epitome of that place. In fact, um, you, you look out from the, the village and, and, and you're looking at clouds and you're looking at uh, large birds soaring way up in the air beneath you. Uh, it's really just a remarkable Beautiful place. And you, on every side you look down and clouds are just coming up towards you every day. So that's looking down at the village. And you can see that the, the village is kind of built on a spine of a ridge of a mountain. And um, down in the valleys where the rivers rage is not a safe place to live. And so kind of on the, on the spines of ridges is kind of where they build... Stuff That's looking out towards the ocean. I never saw the ocean from there, but I think you can. Can you see the ocean some days? Okay. Cameron says yes. Um, the kinds of plants just there in the village are the kinds of things you would uh, try to find at Home Depot and try to grow in your garden and just can't. And uh, you just drop things on the ground and they grow up there. 
really absolutely beautiful. And it's not just wild plants all around you, but the people of the villages have cultivated them and they garden for aesthetics. Um, and it's just absolutely beautiful the way they've arranged things. So here's some uh, Christmas cards coming your way. Our friends with beautiful feet, our missionaries, our photo bombs. So you have the Mitchells on the right, the Cans on the left, Amelia in the middle. Waterfalls everywhere you go. The sound of music. The hills are alive or something. I don't know what that... And then uh, life inside the homes. Um, many of you were uh, part of building the homes, designing the homes, um, funding those homes, and they really have become uh, just a beautiful place to live in the midst of a very difficult place um, to be. And if ever there was a place to have a lightsaber battle, this would be the place. I mean, if, you, if you're ever going to have a lightsaber battle, you should wear camouflage rain boots. Um, <laughs> And, and George Lucas should have staged things here. I mean, it's just, we're talking epic backdrops for these kinds of things. Lots of places to hike, waterfalls everywhere. Cassidy is keeping chickens. Uh, she's built a, uh, what do you call it, ranch? Not a ranch. Pen, coop, farm, enclosure, chicken place. And uh, so they're getting eggs and feeding chickens and... making meals in the kitchen. You can see the, the homes have an aesthetic appeal to them. Uh, people have just planted flowers all around, and uh, even the thatching uh, outside covering the house has an aesthetic appeal. That's the Mitchell house looking down towards the Can house. There's the airport. That's out somebody's window can't remember which house. That was the Mitchell's house? All right. There's a meal with Amelia and the Mitchell's. The cherry cokes came up by helicopter, by the way. It's an important part of the meal. We wondered Here he goes. how far a paper airplane would go. Is it going to clear? It cleared. Nice. It cleared. And it ended up in the bush. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I think if you had the perfect paper airplane, you could reach that other village down there. <laughs> but by the time you make the paper airplane, because it's so humid, the paper is soggy. So I, there must be a way to crisp, crisp up the paper to make it get down there. Uh, on the weekends, there's a, a local market in the village. You can buy groceries and things people have um, grown in their gardens, um, bananas, sugarcane, vegetables, and then people hike in things that they sell. Um, fan of a local establishment. <laughs> Amelia Brink, by the way, is uh, just tremendously gifted with language. She learned the trade language very quickly. She is learning dough very quickly and just is out amongst the people all the time interacting. She is exemplary. These are the roads. Uh, this is how you get around. Um, 
muddy, sloggy, hilly. It is just difficult to travel. I think zip lines would be an appropriate form of transportation. That's looking down at the village. We did a little bit of hiking and, and looked around. Just beautiful flora and fauna, creatures and flowers. That's looking back towards the village again. Waterfalls everywhere, giant bamboo forests. And you see the terrain is, is remarkable. The, the village there is in the background. Um, and then the mountains go behind it. The, the hill that we're on, uh, I think Maui Roro, do you remember the elevation, Cameron? Is it around 4,000? About 3,000 feet. And the hill that we're on goes up another 1,500 or so. And then behind it are mountains that go 14,000 feet. So you're just looking up around you at all these towering hills, and you can't even see the ones that are unbelievably uh, bigger behind them. Creatures, more creatures. That is, does he move? I think he moves. I don't know what kind of snake that was. I just saw the, um, the end of it. There are snakes that you wouldn't want to meet. Um, there is also this little guy here. These are ants that are carrying a uh, centipede. And uh, I saw another centipede, and, and I asked Zach about it. He said, yeah, we call that one enemy. Hmm, that's an interesting name for a, for a bug. And the reason they call it enemy is because if it bites you, uh, you won't know who you are, and you'll be sick and in pain for three days. So I'm glad the ants got that guy. Um, you take the trails to any other parts of the Doe-speaking area and you're going to cross rivers. And uh, you may dare to cross rivers. There's Ryan crossing on one of those uh, bamboo bridges. And it's wise to take great care. Amelia's been there a while, so she walks across them standing up. The rest of us were crawling across them. But... While we were there, a local man actually was swept away by a river and killed, which demonstrates the realities of life and death in a tribe that needs to hear the gospel and needs to hear it quickly. And it's a long, hard task to get there. I like this part of the road. It's just hard terrain. Remember when we heard stories about Matt and Zach uh, traipsing all over the mountains trying to find which tribe they were going to go live amongst. And these are the kind of paths that they would take. You may remember that, that Matt went through three pairs of shoes on one hike. Um, it's not surprising. So these are a couple of the guys that uh, are building their homes. The homes that they build... Jeffrey! Um, typically last about five years and they tear them down and rebuild them. Um, but you see that any of the any of the work they do requires milling the wood with a uh, machete. Oh. oh, I cut that one too short. Uh, Jeffrey, the guy that you can't see, um, was one of the 
prime guys that helped us build the houses first time around. And I've never seen anybody more skilled with tools and wood than, uh, than Jeffrey. In fact, I should, I'll, I'll play it again so you can meet Jeffrey. Jeffrey's in the red up on the right there. Jeffrey! nice when the forest, the lumber mill, the architect, the contractor, and the builder are all on the same site, and it's all the same guy, you know. These guys are building a new uh, clinic, medical clinic, uh, where the government provides um, some minimal uh, medical supplies and things like that. They're building a series of buildings to house something of a pharmacy. Here are some of the people in the village, that is, uh, anybody know what that is on the ground there? Coffee. We, we got cheaters over here in the Dodd residence to know all the answers. Yes, that is coffee from Papua New Guinea. And so uh, those people are why our friends are there. And we're talking about people that... Uh, ostensibly have not heard from their maker uh, since the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of peoples across the earth uh, have been separated from um, the truth of the gospel and have been waiting for someone to come and bring them God's word uh, to bring the local church uh, and to bring the truth of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Ryan and Zach uh, regularly uh, talking together about what's next, what do we do, and you'll remember this process of, of wanting to go and then training and then preparing to go, raising funds, building homes, moving, learning the trade language so that they could learn the tribal language is a massive undertaking. And, and when you and I share the gospel with our neighbor across the street, we already live there. We already have a relationship. We already know the language and the culture. Uh, these are significant hurdles to overcome. And, and you'll remember that a software engineer and uh, a welder and a school teacher decided to get trained and to take on this task. And they have come a long way. Um, pretty exciting that they live there. Um, this is Sunday mornings. And so Sunday morning, we, we got together and we worshiped the Lord together and we took communion together and we sang together. Uh, Zach led a, a Sunday school lesson for the kiddos and um, it was really, really sweet. But it brought into significant relief that the Doe people don't yet have the New Testament church. And that, that what we enjoyed in, in a living room um, was a taste of what the dough people desperately need. And so there was something kind of sad about uh, worshiping the Lord together on a Sunday morning in the midst of a village who don't yet have access to the Savior we know. 
And so one of the things that we did was we met in, uh, in, in one of the huts, one of the houses with um, village leaders. Uh, there are tribal elders, there are representatives of the government, there are representatives of the kind of the state uh, Christian representation, which has some Lutheran moorings, but um, is gospel-less. Um, and so we had representatives from the various uh, spheres of leadership, and they wanted to meet me, they wanted to talk with me. Um, anytime a helicopter comes in, somebody important is getting off the helicopter, and there's somebody in charge that needs to be talked things out with, and sometimes the, the task is, what, what, what can we acquire from the person in charge? If, if we can't get the things that we're really looking for from the person immediately, can we go over his head and, and ask the person in charge? And so in their view, I was the person in charge of Zach, and if they couldn't get everything they were asking for from Zach, maybe they could ask me. And they were also concerned that um, I might take Zach away. Um, they were concerned that as, as, the, as the boss of Zach, uh, that I would give a bad report and that Zach would have to go home and the work would stop. Uh, they were concerned that uh, perhaps they had done something that was offensive and that actually we were coming to rescue our people from them. And so they asked questions, Do, have we done something wrong? Um, they wanted to know why, uh, why are Zach and Ryan here? What is the work? And this is something that Jeremy and Matt and Zach and Ryan and Amelia, that everybody has explained over and over and over again in a lot of different ways. But in a culture that, um, that, that doesn't have all of the assumptions of integrity and truth-telling that we might take for granted sometimes, to be able to hear the same thing over and over and over again is helpful. To be able to hear from me in different words the same idea is helpful. And so I, I was asked by the... So you'll hear some... Uh, pigeon, which is the trade language, which uses English sounds and some Australian English vocabulary um, that you can kind of pick up, at least listen in pretty quickly. And you'll also hear some dough, which I couldn't even figure out syllables, much less words or sentences. Um, so you hear a mix of this in this meeting. Um, but the, the men were gathered as well to, to find out um, why Zach and Ryan are here. And I explained to them, <clears throat> Zach and Ryan have come to put God's word in your language. And it means they need to live here and learn your ways, learn your culture, learn your language, so that they can clearly articulate God's message. And it is, a, it is the message that God has for you, and it's important to have it in your language, and it just takes a lot of work to learn it. That's what they're here for. And they're not here to build a new medical clinic. They're not here to build a school. They're not here to uh, improve this, that. The, I said a whole list of things they're not here to do. And, and there's, a, there's a cultural assumption that someone from the outside can bring things, stuff, technology. Um, the phenomenon of the askim. Uh, that is, I'm going to ask him for something, um, it is a normal part of their culture. And so um, if, if, uh, if someone brings you as a gift a cucumber, the next day they might ask in return for a laptop. 
And, and there's not a sense of the disparity of the value of those things, but there is a very strong sense of the disparity of, hey, I gave you something and you didn't give me something back. And so there are significant cultural hurdles to get over. And so the, the confusion over, uh, are the missionaries there to bring them stuff from the outside to make their way of life better? is a serious confusion. Another confusion that's there is, are the missionaries here to take things from us unbeknownst to us? And there are significant international mining companies uh, that are in Papua New Guinea, in the mountains, that buy off land rights for seashells and then dig precious minerals out of the ground and profit by it. And so a whole village can see its entire livelihood and way of life go away for trinkets. And so the people have actually been warned against this. And so that is an obstacle to the gospel. When missionaries come in and, and okay, we want to live here. Um, okay, great, but what are, you, what are you really here for? What are you going to take? And the suspicion was, and, and this wasn't from the tribal leaders, but there was a rumor going around amongst the people that Matt Dodd did not return because he had found something under his house and came back to America with it, something valuable. Now, if you notice, the, the houses are all on stilts. There, there's no, like, place for a, an auger or some pipe into the ground to get gold. Or, I mean, there, there's no physical evidence of, of our missionaries taking things, but... But there is the suspicion, and there is the suspicion that, that are, these missionaries from the outside have some invisible, maybe even spiritual power that allows them to get things out of the ground from underneath their homes and then go back to America with it. And so um, it takes a lot of work to dispel these suspicions and these notions. And the people in Mauiroro are unbelievably hospitable, they're kind, they're sociable, and yet they're unregenerate. And so um, there are just a lot of categories of kindness that come with the gospel, of integrity that comes with the gospel, of a way of thinking about the world and about people that comes with the gospel, a way to address your own conscience that comes with the gospel that they don't yet have access to. And so the gospel has to overcome significant suspicions just for our missionaries to be able to live there and, and not create what, what they call heavies, that is a heavy cultural situation, a problem. And I was just talking with Cameron this morning, and the heavies abound even to this day. So uh, Ryan was in that meeting, and Ryan was able to speak in the trade language in pidgin. Um, Zach was able to communicate in pidgin and in doe. Uh, Amelia was communicating in Afrikaans and pidgin, doe, English, and whatever else. How much time? So all, all get a white man, me play too long time, uh, long day, long noon, long, yeah, me play get a five o'clock, uh, six o'clock, me eating kaika. Um, so, um, um, uh, it, it's um, time, I'm um, no big plus something, long walk long me long year, okay? Um, I'm helping me pla come up long some pla thinking, na planning something, na 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 look look forward, look to the future. That's uh, all. Me pla got one pla big pla something. I'm out in talk longer. Na one time big pla something. 
walk you pun down. How how about you me sabe? You know got another blood through blood talk he stopped long ground. How about you me sabe long one of them through blood something suppose you me lot in this blood walk you pun down or send that um kissing belly see smelly talk or saying kissing belly see or saying Zach was able to explain to the leadership that not only were our missionaries not there to take things, but they were there to give and give and give and give. There's no way to approximate um, in ways that, that they could understand in their context what it meant for our missionaries to give up what they've given up to pay what they've paid for this entire church body behind them to invest in this project. And I was able to try to explain a little bit that uh, Zach and Ryan and Amelia, um, they're, they're not alone in this. But, but, but all of you are behind them, are part of their team, and are giving selflessly, sacrificially, so that the Doe people can have the word of God. And the, and the leadership was able to affirm, yes, we believe that. We believe you. And Zach is doing a good job. And we want Zach to stay. Um, it's true that there are enemies. Uh, Zach said that someone came up to him uh, the week before we were there and said, uh, are you here to do what the Tartaglias were involved with in Mibu? If you're here to do the same work that they did in Mibu, consider me your enemy. That's very real. But the leadership as a whole unanimously affirmed, we love these missionaries. We want them to be here. We want them to continue this work. When I gave the long list of things our missionaries are not there to do, we're not here to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. We're here to do this. God's word in your language. And we want God's word in your language in such a way that you will understand it, embrace it, believe it, and be able to teach it to others. In other words, I'm thinking not only is the church birthed, but then the church has children. And, and they said, yes, that is exactly the work that must be done. That is what we want you here for. Um, now, is, is Zach on a 10-year contract? That's the question they asked. Now, why do you ask? They were concerned because we've talked about a 10-year time frame at times. How long do you think this will take? Oh, this long. And we're several years in and just turning the corner on teaching the Doe people to read and write their own language. We're just doing uh, literacy. Just gave them their alphabet. Just teaching them Jack and Jill went up the hill in Doe. We're still a long way off from translating the scriptures. And it won't be till maybe January of 2020 that we begin chronological Bible teaching. And they're looking at that going, oh man, 10 years is not enough time to teach us God's message. Does that, it, it, 10 years, time's up, Zach goes home. And we were just able to affirm, no, the, our missionaries will be here. The Grace Bible Church in Arizona will be behind this. We want to see the work done. Um, this is not a time frame. And they've, they've seen, you know, companies come in on a 10-year contract and then leave when the 10 years is up and leave things in ruins. So they have a category for understanding the dangers of that, especially when this work is this important. 
Here, uh, Zach is doing some of his language learning. This is his language helper. And uh, Zach is translating a, a French short story into dough. Now, if you think about it, um, it's kind of a challenging thing to translate anything into another language. To translate abstract concepts into another language is another level of challenge. And to translate abstract concepts that have no familiarity in the receiver language is another challenge, right? It's one thing if you're going from English to French and French has a category of spirit and English has a category of spirit. But to go across to other concepts totally is, is, a, is a real challenge. And, and no one else in the world besides the dough people speaks dough. You can't go read dough for dummies, you know, check it out at the local library. Um, there's no Rosetta Stone for this. This is all fresh territory. And uh, to think about what it means um, to, to translate, one of the exercises was for Zach to tell the short story version of the sinking of the Titanic in dough. Now think about that. North Atlantic, icebergs, ocean liners. What dough words can accommodate that? And yet you have to be able to tell the story. It's a, it's a great sort of dress rehearsal. And, and I remember Zach telling me about going through that exercise. And he's like, oh, the Titanic. When can I start the Bible? <laughs> and so this language helper um, is, a, is a tremendous, uh, a really important part of Zach getting to the level in his language ability to be able to teach Bible. And Zach called me and said, Smith, do you know what the first verse is? In the beginning, God. That's hard. Which beginning are we talking about? And um, who is God? Um, the, the people have a concept of God. There, uh, maybe a creator, maybe someone that oversees things, but, but we know where God lives and he lives on that mountain right there. And, and, and we know this other God over here and, and you know, our ancestors are divine and, and the rocks and the sticks have power and the animals have, you know, you can't just say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Um, you have to cross significant cultural chasms and understandings to get there. So Zach is working really, really hard. I tried to put in the slideshow and was unable to do it, um, the, the Doe dictionary that Zach is writing and the Doe alphabet that Zach and Cassidy wrote. You can see the letters, what they sound like, uh, what words they're used in. Um, and and there, if you'd like afterwards or some other time to kind of look at the behind-the-scenes linguistics work, that Zach uh, and Cassidy have been doing. It's pretty remarkable to see the books that Cassidy has written that are the teaching Doe people to read and write their own language. Primers. Um, things you and I would use in kindergarten, first grade. Um, to teach people that have never had a written language how to read and write their own language. Konani Konani dokoro Yukaka, Kenero, Ingondutu, Urewero, Yukanguko. So Zach is telling the story of Stone Soup. If you're familiar with the story, I won't retell it here. Um, but it has some interesting cultural features, and uh, there's kind of a twist at the end that takes some subtlety to understand. And so Zach is trying to tell the story of stone soup in dough and his language helper is listening to it and then they have a lot of questions to see what was understood and what was missed and then they go back and refine it. 
It's a little bit of a microcosm of the laborious task that Bible translation will take on. And then he was given feedback. Oh, one of them did make it. Okay, so here's the alphabet that Zach and Cassidy have been working on. I think it has 24 letters. How many does English have? 26? I forgot. Okay, I think Doe has 24. Um, here's some, uh, uh, some Doe words. I won't try to pronounce them with an English really literal translation, then an English meaning, and then notes. And Zach just has pages and pages and pages of these things as they're documenting uh, how are we going to get um, to the Doe language. One hour that's on. Depends on life long pizza. Yeah. Okay. You got long or thing? Okay, long side, you know, you can talk to me, hurry up. Okay, now you make it one by one hour and go inside out. One hour, 30 minutes, can you go inside? Now making three hours, you can walk one day more. Teacher, one time, you or no God, this last. You had to hear the thunder. Um, that man is a man named Eke, and he's one of the uh, kind of the leaders. He's probably kind of the, the head leader in the village. And uh, after that group meeting that we all had, um, well, during that group meeting, Eke uh, pulled out a, a, a pencil and paper, and he read a bullet-pointed list of a report on Zach's performance. He, he wanted to give an official report to me uh, of how Zach was doing, uh, and gave detailed, here's what he's doing well, and just said, Zach is really good at going out and meeting people. He's really good at playing with the children. Uh, he obviously loves being here. We love having him here. Um, he, uh, you need to know, he doesn't go to church very often. <laughs> there, there's a Lutheran building where services are held, but um, wouldn't call it a New Testament church. Um, it's syncretistic and um, no gospel. But they wanted me to know that Zach was not attending. Um, and, and Zach will go in occasionally and listen in just to try to learn things about the culture. But, um, so they wanted to give kind of the positives and the negatives. And their assessment of Zach's language was Zach uh, knows dough words. He, he's worked really, really hard and he knows the dough words. Um, he can put together dough sentences and paragraphs. They said longer stories are still difficult. It's just hard to put together a multiple-page story in a conversation. Um, they said that uh, Zach doesn't know doe idioms. And, uh, you know, you think about an English idiom, that's the pot calling the kettle black. Um, you may know what a pot and a kettle and the color black, you may know what all those words mean and still not know what the idiom means. And we're still learning English idioms, and you drop them on your kids, and your kids go, What? Stitch in time saves nine. What does that mean? I don't even know. I got that from my dad, but it means something important. And so those idioms 
uh, are kind of like the last level of language learning. And so for the, the, the Doe people to say, Zach knows the words, but he doesn't yet get our idioms. That's really good news. It is really, really encouraging. It means they are actually at the place where they can turn the corner and begin teaching literacy and then begin working towards chronological Bible teaching where they start from Genesis and teach the Bible chronologically up to the life of Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and into the New Testament. That's coming and coming very soon. It was really, really encouraging to, for Janet and me to be with them and to, to see them right kind of on this hinge of the history of, uh, of the Doe people's interactions with the gospel. Um, the one thing that, uh, that Eki said to Zach is he said, Zach, you need to keep at your desk. You need to write the dictionaries and you need to learn Doe. And this was the, the meeting you just saw in the video is with um, Zach and Ryan and Eki. And um, that was outside of all the group with all the other guys. Eki wanted to have a private meeting with me and with our missionaries and, and just encourage them, stay at the work. Um, don't feel bad if you're not getting out every day. Um, you've got to write the dictionary. You've got to learn the language. You've got to put the Bible in our language. Um, so to have this from an unbeliever who's taken it upon himself to have an ownership of our missionaries and encourage them in the work. Mike, you're very kind. Thank you, sir. Um, was such an encouragement, such an encouragement to me, such an affirmation that um, God, for now, is um, kindly providing a pathway for our missionaries to keep up what they're doing. The helicopter came back and got us. Uh, sad farewells as we left the village. leap off of this cliff and you just don't know when you're going to see these people again. It's pretty heartrending. Uh, flying back in towards Medang. See, uh... Probably just typical of Papua New Guinea. You fly into the airport, uh, land the helicopter, and you pull up next to a barrel with uh, things burning in it under a sign that says flammable liquid danger. I don't know. Probably wouldn't see that here. Um, and of course, on the front end and the back end, we got to spend time with the layman's in Medang and uh, got to be reunited with our friends, uh, have meals together, lots of encouragements. Um, really, really fun time. More paper airplanes, more Legos. Um, Aqua Woman. Uh, <laughs> little Bell is uh, spearing things and eating them. It's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, there's the, the truck, the, the workhorse, and of course, Janet and Lori. Um, Jeremy uh, runs a, a, a pretty remarkable operation, and, uh, and the boys help him out. You can see everything packaged there uh, for a supply run. It goes from the truck to the helicopter. Jeremy does all the purchasing and ordering based on their needs and makes sure that our missionaries have what they need. They put it in the black 
plastic, plastic so when it comes off the helicopter, the local people don't see everything that's in there and have temptations toward envy. Um, th- there's a reason we want our, our missionaries to have groceries delivered to them rather than for them to be subsistence farmers. Subsistence farming is more than a full-time job, and their full-time job is to translate the scriptures and preach the gospel. And so, um, and, and the people there understand that and want them to do that work. Knox is picking up some good local skills. Mm-hmm. That time I met. This time I might pick. Hello. Zach, you there? Hey, I'm trying to call you on Skype right now. <laughs> Greer has some uh, local skills as well. They'll, uh, with a slingshot, they'll shoot down giant bats and birds. Oh, hey now. So, couldn't see them every day, but those are the Finisterre Mountains looking from Jeremy and Lori's house. So, right across the bay, um, there were only, I think there was only one morning we could actually see the mountains, and they seemed so close. The rest of the time we were there, they seemed so far away. So, I mean, you can imagine, we, for, for us, the, the Mitchells and Amelia and the Cans seem a world away. And I'll tell you, while we were in Medang, they seemed a world away still. Um, just the effort uh, and, and what it takes to, to keep them supplied, to care for them, to meet needs, uh, really is a, a challenging thing. Here's grocery shopping in Medang. That's the uh, local fish market with all kinds of fun stuff in there, uh, vegetables and whatnot from the local market. You can see Jeremy uh, preparing a meal. And if you look closely, beads of sweat on his forehead. Um, that's just everyday life in Medang. It's hot. It's humid. Um, it's uncomfortable. And so a significant way that you can pray for our missionaries, uh, especially for the layman's, is just persevering every day in the discomforts. And those of you who have been in Medang, you, you know what that feels like. On the way home uh, from Papua New Guinea, you can stop in Australia um, I don't know why I left this picture. And I just think it's funny that somebody's going to do a jet ski croc spotting tour. I personally don't know anybody who has come back alive from that tour. All right. That's all the pictures. Um, let me give you a couple things to, to pray for. Um, just maybe as a matter of, of daily prayer before the Lord, pray for the heavies. Those heavy, difficult, unknown, landmine, cultural situations that our missionaries walk into. They don't see him coming. They don't know what's going to be an offense. They don't know what's going to be a hindrance to the gospel uh, because things are just so different. And adjusting to language, adjusting to culture, climate, food, all the rest is just challenging. You can always pray for that. And then I would just encourage you, pray for the thing that, that Jesus promised would happen, that people from the mountains of Papua New Guinea would be around the throne of the Lamb worshiping because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beautiful feet of those who carry it. All right, let's close in prayer. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for these reminders of our friends, this uh, part of our body here, uh, removed from us and transplanted to the other side of the world uh, for your glory and for the gospel. Um, would you meet their needs? Would you care for them? Would you speed their work? Would you give them joy and endurance in it? Um, would you uh, cause their... Um, 
love for you and love for one another and love for the Doe people to grow each day in tangible ways. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.